The following program does not offer personal medical advice. Please consult your doctor before using any treatment or product we cover. Welcome to Go to Health Radio with your host, Jonathan Marks. We provide a welcoming environment where experts educate you on important health topics, answer your questions, and provide information from which you can benefit in consultation with your doctor. And now, here is Jonathan Marks. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Go to Health. My name is Jonathan Marks, as you know, and I'm so happy to have you with us today. Today, we've got a wonderful presenter good friend of mine. And the title of our segment today is Turning Burnout into Joy, Enhancing Personal Resilience. Uh, This is such a huge topic these days with all the stress of the getting over the pandemic and now the new fighting in Ukraine. And it's just a very trying time for so many, many people. So I thought of bringing on my good friend, Dr. Mamta Gautam, and she is the principal of peakmd.ca. That's peak, P-E-A-K-M-D.ca in Canada. So we're going to be talking about three different things in our segments today. First is physicians and the pandemic, the impact of COVID on physicians and especially women physicians. And it's so appropriate after International Women's Day recently. The second segment will be passion, patience, and persistence, and Dr. Gautam's leadership journey to taking care of her physician colleagues. And the third one, which I know is going to be relevant for all of us, is turning burnout into joy, Dr. Gautam's five C's framework for resilience with tips for enhancing personal resilience. So let me introduce Dr. Gautam. Dr. Mamta Gautam is an internationally renowned psychiatrist, consultant, certified coach, author, and speaker. She's based in Ottawa, Canada. She's focused on professional health and well being since 1990. She is a trailblazer in this field and is known as the doctor's doctor. In the past two decades, she's expanded her work to include leadership development to better address system level factors that impact the wellness of all healthcare workers. She's created podcasts and videos on these topics and authored articles, book chapters, and two international best-selling books. She brings this knowledge and expertise to PeakMD, that's P-E-A-K-M-D dot C-A, through which she delivers keynote presentations and workshops, consults to healthcare organizations, and coaches senior medical leaders internationally. She's committed to advancing diversity in medicine and facilitates leadership development for women in medicine. And she's developed and co-leads Momentum, a six-day retreat for women in medicine, and recently founded The Raft, an accredited online platform for leadership development, peer support, and community for women physicians. She's the recipient of numerous prestigious awards for her innovative work to support and mentor her healthcare colleagues and has been awarded distinguished fellowships in both the Canadian and American Psychiatric Associations. Welcome to the show, Mamta. How are you today? Thank you so much, Jonathan. I'm great. And I have to tell you, it is such a privilege, such an honor to be here on the show with you today. Good. I'm glad. I want to add to this. We are dedicating this show to a beloved colleague of both Mamta's and mine, Dr. Lee Lipsenthal. And he was a uh, really a spearhead uh, physician 
in developing programs for physician wellness. He wrote a wonderful book called Enjoy Every Sandwich, which I highly recommend you read. It's really about getting through challenges in life. Uh, it's called Enjoy Every Sandwich. So doctor, let's talk about physicians in the pandemic. What have you seen physicians go through, the impact of COVID on them, and especially women physicians? Let's talk about that first. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, I want to start by thanking you also for dedicating this to Lee. He was such a warm, compassionate colleague. And a lot of uh, the work that I have done certainly has built upon uh, his mentorship. And so this is very meaningful to me. Thank you. You know, while I've, I'm focusing on my physician colleagues and healthcare workers, uh, Obviously, all of us have felt this pandemic uh, and the impact of this. And so you will see that a lot of what I'm talking about will probably, you know, reflect in, in your own experience as well as resonate with you personally. But these two, you know, these two years, can't believe that we're saying two years, um, has have been what we call, you know, living in a VUCA world where VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity. And we're certainly all of us experiencing that. I remember at the very beginning, um, you know, I, I do a fair number of presentations. And I remember coming home in, uh, I guess, March of 2020, and thinking, you know, all of my next, I don't know, 30 presentations are canceled, what am I going to do? And so what I did um, was thought, well, I have a bit more time, I'm going to do what I do best as this pandemic approaches, which is really support my colleagues in this. And so um, I just tweeted out that I was going to hold this daily Zoom call uh, every day at four o'clock, which was consecutive for several months on a daily basis. And so a lot of what I'm going to share with you is what I've heard firsthand from uh, our colleagues. And I think, you know, the healthcare system itself is really pushed to the brink. There's the, there was many, many times throughout this, the surge in patients, the, the shortages of staff, but realistically, we're all tired. I want to highlight um, a few of the more common concerns that, that I've had uh, um, and that I've seen in my colleagues, but again, applicable to, uh, you know, all professionals and all uh, uh, members of the community uh, as well. Um, the first one is burnout, right? Burnout is this, um, it's very much a work-related syndrome where basically the demands of the workplace exceed the resources. So we are being asked to do much, much more than we actually have the ability or time or energy to do. Um, it is more likely to uh, work, occur in jobs that require taking care of other people. So certainly in healthcare, but not specific to healthcare. There are many, many other jobs where people uh, were taking care of other people and their needs. Uh, we see, you know, an increased vulnerability to work, to burnout. Um, and we saw, of course, soaring rates of burnout um, and associated issues like anxiety, depression, um, sleep problems uh, as the pandemic progressed. Mamta, let me ask the question, what does burnout look like? If you, if you take a look at one doctor, what kind of symptoms do you see? What are they feeling? Describe that for us. Okay, so in fact, three stages have been described by uh, Christina Mashlash and her associates. And so I'll, I'll show them to you. The first is emotional exhaustion. So what happens here is actually in our workplace, we don't see any issue. There's no concerns. People seem to be functioning as they always function. But they know that they are pushing themselves a little bit harder. And at the end of the day, they're drained. There is nothing left for them. And what they say are things to me like, um, you know, mom, I come home at the end of my day and 
um, you know, I'm sitting uh, in a chair in my living room and I just put up like a newspaper, an article, a journal, something very tangible in front of me and my family to just let them know I don't have anything left right now. Right? Yeah. Please don't bother me. People will say to me, you know, I'll come home and I'll drive my car into the driveway and I'll just sit in it. I'll just turn it off for a few minutes and just gather up some more energy before I go into the house for sort of mm. the next part of my day. So mm-hmm. that's the emotional exhaustion. Um, what that moves into is, is the second phase that's been called depersonalization. And in this phase, what happens is that, you know, we start to pull away from people. We start to socially withdraw and disconnect from people around us. And what we are realizing is that often it's the people in our lives that are the more that are the most draining. So that's what we have the least amount of energy for. And so again, in the workplace, we would see um, people don't necessarily make eye contact because that would involve, you know, a connection and a conversation, which I don't have energy for. People will, um, so just sort of look down as they pass you in the hallway. People will uh, uh, grab a sandwich at their desk instead of going to a common area to have lunch. Uh, um, And we see this uh, as well in our personal lives. Like often at the end of uh, the day or the end of the week when we're healthy, we're excited to see people and we're excited to come home and interact with people Um, When you're feeling burnt out, and certainly in this stage, that seems like the last thing you want to do, right? Mm. Just one more person that wants something from you. And we start to make excuses about doing social activities and start to pull away. And then in that last stage of burnout, um, there's a sense of reduced personal accomplishment where you know, we we aren't feeling that sense of satisfaction from our work. Uh, we've lost that uh, uh, that sense of meaning. We've questioned, like, what was it about what we're doing? Do we, you know, made us want to go into this? And, you know, that question, certainly for medicine, that we all get asked uh, when we're, you know, in our admission interview for medical school, uh, we've forgotten the answer. What was it about this that was so compelling for us? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that uh, we don't care anymore. It's just we can't care. That, you know, I can't imagine the the kind of pressure and and these three stages of burnout mm-hmm. that you're discussing that that medical professionals faced every single day for a few years and just being totally overwhelmed. People are dying. People are being intubated, and, and it and you know there's no room in the emergency room. I mean, it was just horrendous. I just don't know how people made it through, and I have the greatest respect for the fact that people still went into work and did their job. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. I share that too. And I want to add to that because burnout is really just when we're asking, you know, more like where where there's more work to be done than than resources, right? But Mm -hmm. what you just alluded to, um, I want to describe, you know, we do have some terms for. So in addition to feeling burnt out, a lot of healthcare professionals have been feeling compassion fatigue. Now, compassion fatigue is sometimes correlate it with burnout, it can coexist, but it's separate. So it's not as much about the work, but it's about um, the amount of compassion that we give to other people and, and how drained we are by that and our inability to refuel right, in between, and to continue to give this out. And so people find have found this during this time, it's sort of this, this emotional and physical erosion. And it's really because, you know, all these people around us are equally in distress, um, and often, obviously, much more in distress, but we are mirroring that we are soaking that up. Um, and uh, at some point, all absorbing all of that trauma makes it hard for us to just refuel and do it again the next day. Yeah, I mean, and, and what happens? when you're in the in the process of dissociating that you were talking about before mm-hmm. disconnecting yes. how do you do that 
you, you must be doing that on a personal level, but on a professional level, you have to be coming through and being warm and caring. I, I don't know how people do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that is the draining part, right? That, you know, we really have to find something inside you and push yourself to do that, which makes it hard. And we've talked mm-hmm. about sort of, you know, the, the personal impact on us, but I also want to bring up um, another term that, that I've heard and is certainly another factor here for healthcare workers is a sense of moral distress that leads to moral injury. And what this is, is really this challenge of sort of, you know, at the same time, knowing what I want to do for my patient, that is the best care possible, but being limited by what's available, right? What's available in my hospital or in my healthcare system, I'm just constraints beyond our control. And so there might be times where, you know, because of the burden on the healthcare system, we've asked patients not to come to the emergency room, uh, you know, unless it was acutely necessary. We've had to make decisions like um, which patients can be admitted to hospital at a time when, you know, obviously, ideally, we'd like to admit everybody that requires that help. We've had to make decisions like which patients are able to uh, uh, have admission to ICU and the resources or which patient gets the ventilator that's left. And, you know, these are the impact of that is unbelievable. Yeah. I've had colleagues, uh, you know, in distress, really just saying, I, you know, that that decision will haunt me um, and the trauma of making that. And if we do enough of that, the sense that there are enough limitations, and it's not even patients um, requiring acute care, you know, many, many uh, primary practice uh, physicians um, who, you know, ordinarily would have had their patients getting their hips replaced or going for surgery, which now has been put off and, um, and then having to, you know, support them and explain to them why that's happening, but still feeling badly, like the injury of recognizing that, you know, this is not the ideal care I would like to provide for my patients. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the additional stress that you perceive among women physicians and women's health, women healthcare workers. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Jonathan, because the reality here is that this has not been an equal opportunity pandemic. Um, I think, and and I say this for women physicians, but I think that many of our women uh, listeners will relate to this because this was not specific necessarily to women. And what we saw was that, uh, you know, a lot of the rates of, I've just talked about burnout, fatigue, um, have actually been greater in women than men and and Mm. certainly women in healthcare. And some of these factors are are related to work and some of these factors are related to home. So if we think about in the workplace, what we see is that the inequities that persisted um, pre-pandemic certainly have, uh, you know, continued and often have worsened. where some of the some of the issues have been things like increased workload, and so while you know women and men physicians perhaps have been uh, equally taking care of the, the clinical workload, what we see is that is that you know the, some of the what we call more sort of citizenship types of tasks have been uh, relegated to women physicians, or they have been, you know, somehow uh, given them or they take them on. So, you know, things like, um, yes, you have to take care of all the patients and and do that, but could you also write up the uh, patient information brochure? Um, Could you also, you know, support our our medical students and residents in training who are feeling uh, distressed by the situation or perhaps are concerned that they're not getting the type of education that they would like? so basically the workload is increased, but a lot of these tasks are what we would say, you know, academically less recognized. 
And uh, what we saw too was that a lot of our male colleagues, you know, were involved in research, were involved in academic uh, activities that mm-hmm. uh, actually helped them on that path for promotion, whereas uh, a lot of our women colleagues were doing some more of the, you know, the, the, the nurturing tasks, the explanation tasks, the educational tasks, which are not uh, really acknowledged and recognized in the same way. Right. And um, then that's just at work. But now let's talk about at home and the difference yeah. in, in the role at home. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, um, again, I think, you know, fairly early on in the pandemic, uh, many uh people, including healthcare professionals, switched to working from home, right? And so the working from home, and and for us in healthcare, some of that was like seemingly overnight, we're, you know, looking at doing virtual care, which again, a very steep learning curve. But as there were um, restrictions in the community, we're also having, you know, our children at home while we're trying to do a full days of work, and we're, um, you know, we're then, of course, you know, homeschooling. So we are not just, you know, our professional role, but we're also the teacher. We're also the um, IT tech for our kids. Mm -hmm. We're also their social connections and their social conveners uh, as much as we could at a time when, you know, because of the limitations, our usual resources were limited, like school, daycare, uh, grandparents. We just had, we had little or no access to any of that. Um, and, and I think as well, we're looking at, uh, you know, women have always, whether they um, work outside the home or not, have had the bulk of the housekeeping and the childcare responsibilities. And so now it's not just childcare, but also child schooling and uh, the housekeeping responsibilities as well. You know, certainly when we were looking at not just the children that are in the home now, but also our extended family and often, uh, you know, older parents who uh, were more at risk and uh, certainly earlier in the pandemic when they were not vaccinated and, and, you know, our concerns were more about them. And so then again, often fell to the woman professional to, um, on top of everything else, make sure they had their groceries and their meals and, you know, got to appointments and everything else as well. So we've been talking with Dr. Mamta Gautam, MD, She works in physician wellness. Her website is peakmd, that's P-E-A-K, peakmd.ca. And in this first segment, we've really talked about the impact of COVID. And as you were talking, Manta, I was thinking it's really like being in the valley of the shadow of death. Um, and what I want to, uh, you know, encourage the audience to stay with us because in the next segment, when we come back, we're going to be talking about passion, patience, and persistence, Dr. Gautam's leadership journey to taking care of her physician colleagues and also herself. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listen for Go to Health Radio. Featuring host Jonathan Marks and health experts from around the world who bring evidence-based education from Western, alternative, and holistic practices. We bring together you, seeking relevant and proven information for your healthcare needs and reputable healthcare experts and companies who offer quality education for your benefit. Monthly, we also share continuing education for medical professionals. Listen live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on Voice America Variety. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, call in to 1 866 472 5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at GoToHealthMedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, this is Jonathan Marks. Welcome back to Go To Health. Today, we're talking about turning burnout into joy and enhancing personal resilience. We're talking with Dr. Mamta Gautam. She's the principal of peakmd.ca. That's P-E-A-K-M-D.ca. So Mamta, share with us your journey. How did you get into this field? You were trained as a physician, as a psychiatrist. How did you get into this field of resilience and, and turning burnout into joy? As I look at uh, uh, my journey in, in my career, I you know want to just uh, uh, remind our listeners too that it's not always a straight path, right? That uh, and sometimes life throws you opportunities, and I encourage you to at least explore them, if not follow through. And so, sort of that sliding doors theory uh, of our career, and uh, um, you know, and I'm going to talk a little bit about how uh, you know my work in burnout uh, really started with my my work in terms of treating my physician colleagues. So, you know, how did that happen? I actually went through medical school and my residency and trained to be a psychiatrist. I did some extra training, what we call a fellowship um, in child psychiatry. So, in fact, that's the subgroup that I thought I was going to be working with. Mm -hmm. And so my first year of practice, I uh, had this uh, opportunity to speak to a group of physicians. And what happened was, you know, I remember it was September. I'm at home. It's about Friday night around midnight. And I get a call from a of close friend of mine. And she is the national president that year of this um, major medical organization. They're having their medical meeting in Ottawa, where I live. And she calls in a bit of a panic because her keynote speaker for eight o'clock that, you know, the next morning is sick and has just canceled. Mm -hmm. And so, so she's like, Mumta, can you fill in? So I said to her, you know what? I've just finished teaching um, the medical students about depression, right? If I can kind of, you know, rework that talk, um, I'm happy to come, right? But, you know, I'd be talking about depression. She says, I don't care what you talk about, right? I just need a warm body in the morning, just come. So that's actually how I got, right, very unexpectedly to speak to hundreds of doctors Saturday morning at eight on depression, probably not a topic they ever expected to to be thinking about, certainly at that point. Mm -hmm. At the end of it, I had several colleagues come up to me and say, you know, we really liked your approach to depression. It sounded like you were telling my story. Would you see Mm. me as a patient? So Mm. those were my first few physician patients. And within Mm. three months, by word of mouth, that was my whole practice. Really, that's what I've been doing since 1990. So I am, you know, very, I I do certainly want to credit my colleagues for the privilege of, uh, you know, allowing me to care for them, but also, uh, you know, learning a lot of what I'm going to be talking to you about, Uh, you know, and, and this opportunity was amazing for me because, I had had some passion, like it's interesting, again, how things work out, but healthcare does not really care for the health of its workers. And very early on, I remember these are like 1980s, but sadly, in some places, things have not changed. And, and uh, so I was already thinking of my own experience, thinking of how can I support healthcare workers in medicine, had this passion, didn't quite know what to do with it. And there, like within a few months of graduate, finishing my residency and fellowship, I had this opportunity. I thought, this is it, right? Mm -hmm. So the passion is so important because honestly, that's been a lot of what's uh, carried me with all of the um, efforts over the last 30 years in this field. So tell me about patience and persistence. 
Right. Well, so that's what 30 years was all about, right? And lots of patience for it to move this. I have to tell you, you know, um, I could clearly see, you know, if, you know, it takes me three months to have a practice full of physicians who um, need support, who are experiencing a lot of stress, uh, uh, burnout, anxiety, depression. Um, I'm thinking, you know, this is real, right? This is not something I've ever thought about and no one's ever talked to me about. And so then I started to talk, right? I started to talk to colleagues, I started to talk to, um, um, you know, major medical organizations. And I have to say, at the time, there was no real interest in this, right? Hmm. There was interest, people were very polite. um, But there was very much a, you know, this is important, but there are lots of other priorities we have right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there was also a sense of, I'm not really sure we want to be talking about this, right? We don't want to be having, you know, to talking about this openly and having the public feel that, oh, gee, like your doctor is not well enough to take care of you. And I said, well, that's not really the message. I mean, really, the fact that your doctor acknowledges that, you know, they need some care and actually goes out to seek it makes them more likely to be a better doctor for you, right? And clearly, we see better physicians lead to better care for patients and the community. And, um, but, you know, that was a very difficult message. uh, And and what I realized was that I'm not really, um, you know, what I'm doing is trying to change culture, which is not something we do overnight. And so there were, there were, you know, um, a few of us talking about this, trying to raise awareness, trying to look at what we could do about this. And so I, you know, I cannot tell you how many times we had those kinds of conversations. People were very interested, uh, but really unwilling or unable to do anything about this at, you know, again, back, we're talking about in the nineties. And then I have to say that, uh, uh, you know, some some of my patients would say, you know, this has been life changing for me. Uh, Would you come and speak at our grand round? So I started Mm -hmm. to do presentations in, in, uh, uh, you know, in, in smaller forums within the hospitals. We had a very high-profile colleague that was well-respected, had was, you know, had multiple awards, even in the past year. have, have a very, had a very serious suicide attempt. Mm. And he ended up as a patient in our ICU. Mm-hmm. Not something that we could ignore, right? Um, and so at the time, we had a dean that was very compassionate, who reached out to me and said, Mom, I know that you are treating colleagues in the community. Can you come help us? We're going to put together a task force to try and address exactly what the, what, uh, you know, what, what the issue, what the extent, the scope of the problem is, and what we can do to address it. And then that task force uh, really turned into our setting up the first uh, faculty wellness program in the faculty of medicine for physicians. It was the first one around the world. Uh, and, you know, mm. the, the thing about physicians and part of the culture has really been the sense of, you know, we're caregivers, right? We're not care receivers. And it's not how we see ourselves. Right. And the culture of medicine is very much very much focused on, you know, the patient comes first. And as physicians, we learn and it's reinforced that we, you know, put our own needs aside and focus on what our patient needs. And we learn to delay gratification um, over and over and not just for the moment, but or for the day or for the week, but sometimes over years. You know, and it's so important. I mean, you're bringing, you're raising such a good point. Physicians are people too. um, And um, what you were saying before, you know, having a weakness 
is part of life and confronting that weakness, dealing that weakness with that weakness is really a point of strength. Mm-hmm. And when you can confront and address a problem you're having and improve it, that's not, that's not weak, that's strength and, and resilience. And that's what's so important. And I, I'm so glad to hear that there's been this move to say, hey, physicians and healthcare workers are people too. They need to be taken care of as well. And we as patients can acknowledge that. Right. And I appreciate, you know, your reframing of this as a strength because it takes a lot of courage and certainly in the cult, you know, the certain, the uh, current uh, culture, Mm -hmm. um, there is a lot of stigma about uh, mental illness and, you know, and and even more so within medicine and uh, very, very important for us to uh, uh, just acknowledge that and to start to address this in in a proactive way. Mm -hmm. Um, I also want to say that, you know, um, it's not just a few people that are vulnerable to this or that are weak in some way. But what I've seen over the years is that you can take any highly functioning person and push them and push them and push them into what for them is an unhealthy environment and they're going to become unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important for us to recognize that none of us are immune to this. Um, You know, we all have our point, whatever that is. And then at some point we start to become unwell and even ill. Where are we today in terms of the healthcare system taking care of its own? How far have we come? Yeah. So, you know, I am delighted to see uh, the the changes. And this is, you know, part of the persistence. You just, you know, wait, you know that this idea that you're passionate about is so, uh, is so important. So you patiently wait and you persist. You keep talking to everybody you can as many times as you're, po- you know, like, like today even, um, just because you cannot say this enough. So, so where we've moved to, I think, is, uh, you know, we have address some individual things. We have started to shift the culture where we're acknowledging that this is an issue. And more importantly, it's not, it's not a negative issue. It's just a fact, as you said, you know, doctors are humans too. And, um, uh, and we see some really good research that has helped to support what we know intuitively that healthy doctors lead to healthy patients and healthy communities. And we're starting to build sort of a business case for ensuring that physicians are healthier. And I would say the last 10 10 years, we've seen some robust research in this area, some good data that, that, you know, really supports the need for this. And we're seeing a good response. And, and one of the things we see is that there are multiple layers. We do have to address the individual factors. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about personal resilience. We are looking at how we shift the culture, but there's also some system level factors that, um, you know, that just the way healthcare is, what doctors are, are asked to do and the, you know, the supports or lack thereof that they have to do this. And so, you know, we're looking at organizations uh, now addressing system level factors as well. And one of the biggest things we see is a lot of organizations starting to embrace the idea of a, um, you know, of a uh, physician, like a chief wellness officer Mm. um, at a healthcare organization, which really puts this, you know, in the C-suite, which means that decisions that are made throughout the organization will also be looked at in terms of how does that impact the wellness of the healthcare workers in this organization. We're talking with Dr. Mamta Gautam. She is an MD psychiatrist. She specializes in physician wellness and her website is at peakmd.ca. That's P-E-A-K-M-D 
www.ca. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Dr. Gautam. And in our next segment, we'll be talking about turning burnout into joy, what we do with all this, all this stress, and how we react to that productively. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Listen for Go to Health Radio, featuring host Jonathan Marks and health experts from around the world who bring evidence-based education from Western, alternative, and holistic practices. We bring together you, seeking relevant and proven information for your healthcare needs and reputable healthcare experts and companies who offer quality education for your benefit. Monthly, we also share continuing education for medical professionals. Listen live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, Jonathan Marks with Go to Health. We're back with Dr. Mamta Gotam. She's a psychiatrist in Canada and Ottawa. Her website is peakmd.ca. And in this last segment, we really want to take a positive note, which is how do you take all this actual reality, which is, can be very difficult and challenging, and how do we live our lives productively? So we've named this segment Turning Burnout into Joy. So Dr. Gotam, how do we do that? I know you've got a framework for that. I do. Thank you so much for asking. I wanted to just put this framework into context, though. I think that uh, it's really important for all of us to remember that resilience and, and our well-being is a shared responsibility. It's the responsibility shared by the system in which we work, as well as the culture uh, that we live and play you know, within and us as individuals. And a lot of times people uh, feel like, you know, and certainly I think, uh, uh, you know, highly functioning professionals feel that, you know, I am resilient. I couldn't have gone this far if um, I weren't resilient. And uh, really it's the system that I work in that needs to change. I think that, you know, while we are clear that things like burnout are now actually caused by system level factors, what we see is that we must not forget the importance of focusing on our own individual personal resilience, because that is what gives us protection. That is what gives us the strength to address and, you know, um, and, and advocate for changes in the, uh, in the healthcare system. Over the years that I've worked with colleagues, I, um, I did a qualitative analysis of a thousand charts in my office, and I defined um, some common themes that people um, either used to stay well once they had recovered their mm-hmm. health, or um, you know, also spoke to colleagues um, who, in a in a specific situation where some of their colleagues came for help, they didn't, and they somehow were able to cope. It was like, what helped you cope? And so, what I've come up with is the five C's of resilience. So the first is control. It, you know, what we realize over and over is the number one cause of stress is this feeling that we don't have any control. And you think, again, the last thing that you, last situation that you were in that caused stress, it was because in that situation, you felt like you had no control, right? Now, here's what happens. 
we are in a situation and we're just a small factor in that situation. So I think of there's me, I'm maybe like 2% of the situation. And then there's, you know, my colleagues, the other people I work with, the organization in which we work, the community, the state in which I work. And so I'm just a tiny cog in the wheel. So it makes sense logically to focus on the bulk of the problem that 98% around us. What we forget though, is that control is an illusion. We have no control over anyone or anything around us. Here we are focusing on this part that I've just said we have no control over and we feel we have no control. And what we need to remember is that 2% that we bring in, right? Our expectations of ourselves and people around us, um, our sense of self, our personality traits, uh, uh, our strengths, our challenges. And if we can start to recognize some of those, then, uh, you know, and focus on that night on that 2%, um, then we've challenged that sense that we have no control. And what it does is allows us to, you know, focus on what we can change or modify and, um, and, you know, learn to accept and lobby over time for the factors uh, that are greater that we can influence, but not fully control. And so, uh, what I'm hearing you say is in a, in a situation which may be, be chaotic and is systemically chaotic, you really don't have control. You still do have your sense of control and how you're going to respond to the given situation, knowing you can't do much to change it. Absolutely. Right. And so, for example, you know, we take a a physician working in a busy emergency room uh, and there's, you know, um, hundreds of people waiting to be seen. You can't control that. You can't control that the the people need medical help or that there's a limited number of emergency physicians available and that, you know, babies are crying and that parents are upset. You can't control any of that. But what you can control is that you don't get frustrated. What you can control is that you, you know, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but, you know, remember what it is that you're here to do. What you can control is that you pace yourself so that, you know, when you are with each patient and family, you give them your, your full attention attention and you do what you can to, you know, to take the best possible care of them and reassure the family and, mm-hmm. and apologize for the wait. Um, and that you pace yourself and make sure you grab a snack uh, in between so that you can continue to do this all day long. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and, and it is a little, it is a little bit of that, but what that does is it allows you by the end of the day to have gotten through the day and to have made the kind of impact you would like to have. Got it. Let's talk about the second C, the five C framework, your commitment, I think you mentioned. Yeah. So you remember um, earlier in this uh, show when I, we talked about the, uh, um, the stages of burnout. In the last stage of burnout, we, we don't feel that same sense of satisfaction. We Mm -hmm. don't feel like we're making, you know, we're having the same impact. And what's happened is that we've forgotten what it was about the work we do that was so meaningful to us. And so the commitment part is really staying connected to the why, right? Mm. Why am I doing the work I do? Uh, You know, how does it fit with my my values, with what is really important to me? And, um, you know, what, what about it gives me meaning? To think about what a great day is. And I would encourage everyone to think about um, you know, what, uh, maybe even a moment at work that is wonderful, that you remember as, as really exemplifying uh, why you do the work you do, mm-hmm. right? And 
I'll take a moment and share a story that I um, that I that for me exemplifies this. So, um, you know, when I do see a physician as a patient, we talk about boundaries. We talk about what we're going to do if I see them in the community. And when my children were younger, uh, you know, we would and they would be, you know, curious. I would, you know, we had we created a script and said, if I see you at the grocery store, um, I'm just going to introduce you as a colleague with whom I work, which mm-hmm. is honest, but sufficiently, you know, vague to protect confidentiality. Right. So I am, I'm, uh, you know, sitting in a a major uh, hotel at at, uh, downtown in one uh, in a big Canadian city after a conference. And one of my colleagues comes in a colleague who probably was one of the most seriously depressed colleagues I've ever had the privilege to work with. Mm. I don't think I've ever worked harder with a patient. I don't think a patient has ever worked harder to, to get better. Um, huge impact to her personally during that time and to her family. So she's better now. She's attending this conference. She comes through uh, the doors of the lobby and she and her seven-year-old daughter have been shopping all morning. They've got some parcels and they come towards where I am. And we chit chat for a little bit. We say hello. We talk about their shopping. And at one point, her little girl, as expected, says, well, who's this mummy? And mm-hmm. she goes, oh, this is Dr. Godham. This is the doctor with whom I work. And we, you know, continued our conversation, we wrap up and they go down the hall towards the elevators. And at some point, the little girl, right, she turns back and looks at me. She walks a couple more steps. She holds her mom's hand. She turns back and she looks at me again. She holds, walks a few more steps. And again, she turns back and looks at me. She does this a few more times. At one point, she lets go of her mom's hand. She comes down the hall towards me and she says, Dr. Godham, I know who you are. Thanks for giving my mom back to me. Oh my God. Oh my God. Wow. That is why I do the work I do. Oh boy. That's so worth it. (laughs) That's my commitment. Oh, that's wonderful. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. Oh, great. Well, we all have a story and, you know, sometimes in the middle of our stress, it's hard to remember. So I encourage people to think of what that story is when they have time to make the time to journal, to reflect so that that sense of commitment um, is available to them when they start to question what they're doing. Great. So let's talk about the third C. So far we have control and commitment. The next one's connection. Right. We, you know, none of us can do this alone. So what we need are these caring connections around us. Um, from my child psychiatry days, a, a really critical concept is that of a holding environment. And one of the uh, what that means is, you know, when we have children, we hold them. We hold them in our arms. We rock them. We take mm-hmm. really good care of them. We anticipate their needs and we meet them. Um, and uh, and you know, we're there for them. And children know that. They learn to trust. And that's what allows them to crawl away and, and crawl back, knowing we're still going to be there or go off for first day of you know school, knowing we're going to be home when they come back or off to first day of college in another city, trusting that we're going to be there for them. Mm-hmm. And this holding environment is a really important concept because it's not just for children. And so what I want you to think about is how do you create this holding environment for colleagues at work? In your workplace, in your department, how do you make your colleagues feel held? How do you make them feel that you're there for them and you've got their back? And and again, throughout the pandemic, we've seen uh, an increase in things like buddy system programs where, you know, each person has a buddy, either you assign one or you are assigned one, but really one person that you check in with every day that you know is there for you. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there are variations of that kind of buddy system that uh, we see have crept up throughout the hospital, uh, throughout different organizations, and, and you know, encouraging people to stay connected to their work, uh, uh, you know, to, to critical people in their workplace that they feel support them. And I also just want to remind uh, us of the importance of staying connected, not just to people in the workplace, but also to the people in their personal lives that support us. Um, so, you know, uh, making sure, again, that we create that same kind of holding environment with our partners, uh, with our family, with our extended Mm -hmm. family and our friends as well. And that's never been more important than now through the pandemic when, you know, our ability to see them sometimes or travel with them, which was, you know, part of how we managed our stress in the past, just not available to us. You know, I just want to make a point here. Um, You talked about control before, and I think there's Mm -hmm. a connection (laughs) between control and connection. And what you've just said is that it's our responsibility to assure that there's connection either in our home life or our social life or our work life that we've got other people's backs. And that's something we can control regardless of how we're feeling. That's absolutely true. And what you'll see is that it's one of those um, reciprocal things, right? That mm-hmm. the more we reach out to people, the more that they're available for us as well, right? And and that, I, you know, I've seen a lot of um, relationships and uh, friendships, certainly with the restrictions, you know, be a little bit more limited through the pandemic, but I've seen a lot more actually be strengthened as people uh, focus on these connections. Right. Okay. Number four, the fourth C, calming. Let's talk about calming. Okay. So, you know, when people are stressed, they are, they can be irritable. They can be, uh, uh, you know, sometimes uh, they can be negative. They can be uh, critical. You know, none of us are at our best. And again, as this pandemic has continued, we've seen even more of that, uh, whether it's in the community or in the workplace. And uh, and over the years, I used to help uh, uh, people talk about calming techniques. And we would think about things like, Um, breathing exercises, relaxation techniques, uh, mindfulness, meditation, uh, you know, uh, spirituality, gratitude, uh, passive and and active relaxation exercises. And these Mm -hmm. were all really wonderful. And what I see over the years, though, is, um, you know, colleagues telling me, Manta, that's great, but I'm not that I'm not that calm yet. Right. And I started to realize Mm -hmm. we needed to do something else. Mm -hmm. So I'll I'll share with you what I call the ABCs of calming. So the A is allow it. Like when you're upset, allow it. Now, you don't want to be lashing out to everybody. You want to find a private uh, place where you can, uh, you know, just have that feeling, um, feel it kind of even lean into it. And what we think is maybe like 20 minutes, 20 minutes is all you need to have it, to experience that feeling, to process it and to put it back into perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so, you know, allow it. Um, If you have a a safe person, uh, you know, what I call a vent buddy, sometimes, you know, find somebody that you can vent to. Again, 20 minutes uh, longer is not more beneficial to you or to them. Mm -hmm. And of course, be available back to them as well. So, so important to just recognize, you know, this is the feeling I have. Every feeling you have is okay. It's what you do about it and how you act on it that makes it okay or not. So allow it in a safe way. The B, because again, people would say, that's great, but you know what? I'm still all revved up. So the B is burn it off. And I Mm. had a mentor in psychiatry that said to me, you know, emotions need motion. You need to kind of move your body in some way and just the emotions can then flow through more easily. And so um, 
in this context uh, to think of, you know, if you, uh, you know, the importance of exercise, but even if you're not exercising in a rigorous way, what about just going for a walk? Or what about just putting on some music and dancing in your kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. But just move your body in some way and imagine those, those emotions flowing. And then you're maybe a little bit more able to use the C, which are those calming techniques that I spoke about earlier. Mm, good. All right. So the fifth one and final, the 5C framework from Dr. Mamta Gautam, it's control, commitment, connection, calming. And the final one is care for self. And as you talk about that, I'd like you to also mention setting boundaries, because I'm sure, as you said before, physicians are made to help, but you can't help if you're not in a good space. So how do you care for yourself? Yeah, that is, you know, the hardest one. I put that at the end, uh, you know, kind of when we're running out of time, because that's what we do, right? We mean to get to this, but, you know, we keep putting it off. And um, it's what I call the brain heart gap, that in our brains, we know this is not rocket science. This is what we would tell our best friend or another colleague who's struggling, but we don't always give ourselves in our heart the permission to do this, right? So that's the gap that we're trying to, uh, uh, to, to fill. Most of us know what these strategies are, right? It really is about, you know, some of the basics, like making sure we eat properly, we sleep properly, we exercise. Um, it's about uh, some of the things we've talked about in terms of staying connected to people, uh, making time for that, finding some hobbies, really unplugging, right? Setting those boundaries and just creating some space where we don't, where we know that we're not responsible for anything or to anyone, right? Those are rare moments for Mm -hmm. most working professionals, including healthcare workers. And Mm -hmm. so important to do that. The number one reason we don't do that is guilt, right? Mm. We feel too guilty. We're so responsible and we feel too guilty. Um, And so, you know, my rule for responsible people is if there's something you're thinking about doing that makes you feel guilty, but you know what's going to help you feel better? It's the very thing you should do. Hmm. Now, of course, you can't quote me in a court of law, but realistically, um, you know, if it were illegal or unethical or irresponsible or immoral, it wouldn't even have come up Mm -hmm. to the top as an actual thought, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking of it, you know, do it. I think that we often see self-care as selfish, right? And there's always so much else that that we can do. And in fact, you know, what we're seeing is more and more research that shows that just taking a little bit of time and and really reframing the selfish part to being an investment, right? Investing in ourselves actually allows us to be much more available to everybody around us who's counting on us. In fact, then taking care of yourself first is probably the most unselfish thing that you can do. Because that way you can take care of other people. Absolutely. So we've covered the five C's of Dr. Gautam's framework for resilience. It's control, commitment, connection, calming, and care for self. And there you've got it. Now, Dr. Gautam, I know you have a number of programs where you people can work with you. Can you tell us briefly about those? Yeah. So a lot of those um, are, are um, programs where uh, the, it's, it's individual, it's one-to-one coaching and coaching at, uh, um, at multiple levels. A lot of it is leadership coaching. Uh, if there's some, something in the workplace, say a new change initiative that you're about to do that you know is going to be a stressful process, uh, mm-hmm. or dealing with uh, somebody in the workplace that uh, perhaps is, you know, is a difficult uh, behavior issue um, or, you know, 
if you're considering some sort of transition or some uh, some investment in yourself to uh, improve your own well-being, uh, the, the coaching is uh, certainly very helpful. A lot of my work, um, uh, you know, as I work more on system level issues, I realize that there is this gender leadership gap. And a lot of my work has been with uh, women professionals, again, uh, sometimes in the one-to-one coaching. There's mm-hmm. a couple of programs uh, uh, that I have uh, developed. One is Momentum, uh, which is a six-day retreat. Um, It really allows women to get away with other like-minded women for six days. And uh, and that really actually came out of, we used to, you know, we still do actually uh, have a two-day program. And women uh, who came to that would say, this is amazing. I've never had the time to sort of stop and just focus on myself. But, you know, so I do that on the first day, then I go home and I make dinner for my family and I put the kids to bed and whatever. And I think a little bit, (laughs) I come back for the second day and it's over. Like we need more time. And so that's what, and they've asked for the six day program where we come, you know, Sunday at noon and we Mm -hmm. do the next uh, noon on, you know, on Friday, but really some time to have these concepts, to to sink into them, to actually look at how you would apply them to yourself, to share conversations with other people and have some time, right, for that reflection, which we just don't have. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also want to uh, mention the raft, which is a, a, a new offering uh, that started through the pandemic, but certainly will be continuing. And it's online. Um, it offers accredited leadership training following the LEADS framework, which is a leadership framework uh, for healthcare uh, that was started in Canada, but now is being used around the world. And, and uh, um, wonderful. Yeah. And so, and it provides not just the training, but also a community, right? So mm. I often will say to people, you know, Come for the content, but stay for the community. Mamta, it's been so wonderful meeting with you today. Um, I'm so glad you came on to explain this from the physician point of view. Um, It's just been wonderful. And, you know, we've got to take care of our healthcare workers. Uh, That's the big message here. And the healthcare workers have to take care of themselves. Uh, And, and, you know, even in uncontrollable environments, those are the big messages I'm taking away from today. So we've been talking with Dr. Mamta Gautam. She's at peakmd.ca. That's in Ottawa, Canada. It's peak, P-E-A-K-M-D.ca. She does individual counseling with health professionals. And she also has a six-day retreat called Momentum and then an online community called The Reft. So uh, definitely look her up if you're in the healthcare professions. I'm sure she can help you or, or guide you to the right resources. Again, Mamta Gautam, MD. She's a psychiatrist, internationally renowned, also consultant, certified coach, author, and speaker from Ottawa, Canada. Thanks so much for being with us today, Mamta. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Good. And again, we are dedicating this to a very dear friend of both of us, Dr. Lee Lipsenthal, who died a number of years ago, but he really helped with Mamta uh, spearhead the pro- this whole program of physician wellness. So take care, everybody. This is Jonathan Marks with Go to Health. You can visit us online at gotohealthmedia.com. You can watch us on seven podcast networks and, of course, listen to us on Voice America. Take care. We'll see you again next week. Have a good week, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in this week to Go to Health Radio. 
Be sure to join Jonathan Marks and another health expert next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You can also catch the program on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next show, be sure to visit us on the web at go to healthmedia.com and elevate your life.